Joe has his own recording booth. That's the door you hear opening and shutting. Ah. Of course, when we started podcasting with Joe, his recording booth was his car. So. <laughs> yes, it was. Have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up? Then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date. The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in JavaScript. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got JavaScript Jabber all day? Well, you can, kind of. We've created a Slack community for JavaScript Jabber. That means that you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at javascriptjabber.com slash slack. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another JavaScript Jabber. This week on our panel, we have Joe Eames. Hey. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and we have a special guest this week, and that's Rebecca Turner. Hey. Uh, you haven't been on for a little while, though we did just do the MyJS story. Do you want to give everyone a brief introduction? Sure. Um, I'm the tech lead for the NPM command line tool team, which is me and Kat Marchand. And we're the ones who produce the the actual NPM command that you run on the command line. Awesome. Oh, yeah. cool. I, I think it's fair to assume we've talked about NPM in the past. Most JavaScript developers are aware of what it is if they don't use it every day. And, and I think that's just a function of what their job is. So let's just dive right into this. So NPM released version 5. Yeah. Yeah, we're very excited about this. Now, one one question that I have is... We're talking to the Node.js folks on Friday about Node.js 8. Was were, were the two tied together at all? Because it seemed like one happened right around the other one. Well, you know, we the, the features that are in NPM 5, we've been talking about for going on two years now. We started concrete planning to get them out in the first couple of quarters of this year, last November. And at first we were like, well... The no date, we, we knew no date was coming out, and it's like, it would be great to be a no date, but we don't think we can hit that deadline. And then no date got pushed out a month. And suddenly that became something we could actually do. And so we pushed really hard to actually have it to the point where we could get it into no date so that no date users would get NPM 5 and then get the updates to NPM 5. Why would it matter? I mean, isn't NPM pretty agnostic to the version of Node you run? It absolutely is. Like, NPM doesn't care. And if you manually upgrade your NPM, you can use NPM 5 in any version of Node. But most users of Node don't upgrade their NPM by hand. They upgrade their Node. And oh. then they get the version of NPM when they do that. Right. I gotcha. So essentially what you're saying is you wanted it out before Node 8 so that when people upgraded Node, they got NPM 5. Right. Exactly. Now what about with like if you're using NVM or some node version manager that or N, you know, or noticed on Windows, then how does the upgrade process work then? Do you have to manually upgrade? Uh, it depends on which one you're using. They, they have different approaches to this. Like with NVM, you get a completely fresh copy of node with new globals for every version of node. So mm -hmm. if you install, if you switch to node 8 with NVM, then you get NPM 5 with the version that's bundled with the current version of node 8. With the older versions, uh, or with some of the other version managers, and I'm not 
familiar in great detail with them, but I know that some of them preserve your global. So if you would manually upgrade an NPM, then you will always have to manually upgrade NPM because it'll keep the one that you manually upgraded to. Hmm. Gotcha. That makes sense. So why NPM 5? I mean, isn't NPM already awesome? Sure. But uh, the biggest thing is that it is really super fast. It's so much faster than previous versions of NPM. It is night and day faster. It varies a lot depending on like what your project looks like. But seeing three to five times speed ups are not uncommon. So, you know, what was a minute install taking 20 seconds? It's a really substantial improvement. That's nice. Um, I'm pretty used to package managers just taking forever anyway. I mean, yeah. you have to get um, Ruby gems. They they just they're slow. Sorry, it has to go out to the <laughs> internet and download crap. It's slow. It's true. And like, if your internet is slow, it's still going to be slow because we can't fix that. But the uh, we've done as much as we can in the other areas. And there's actually there's still a lot of room for improvement. So I expect npm five over its lifetime to get even faster. So what do you do? I mean, what 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 did you do to make it faster? Well, it turns out the npm's cache, which dates back to like you know node 0.2 or something, was really slow, and none of us were aware of just how slow it was. It was so slow that it would that if you were on a fast network, it was sometimes no faster than just talking to the network. It was appallingly slow, and so the big thing that we started working on last November was rewriting the cache. And when we dropped that in, that's when we first saw these huge performance gains. Now, what is the function of the cache? So the cache makes it so you don't have to re-download modules uh, as you get them off okay. the, uh, as, as NPM installs your projects. So if you install a project and then go install something else that uses the same modules, like all of your test frameworks or your gulps or your grunts, then it will install it from the cache instead of having to download it off the internet. Okay. I, I was just curious because, you know, sometimes they also cache like registry information and things like that. And so I yeah, wanted to make sure cache, I understood. We do cache that as well. It's not just the tarballs. It is also the register information. And then that actually, one of the big changes there is previously we just had like some bespoke rules for how long we waited before we t timed out your cache. And we now obey whatever the HTTP headers are. Mm. So, so for registry metadata, it's five minutes. So if somebody upgrades, the, if you install a module and then somebody updates the version, you won't see that update for five minutes because that's what the, the website is telling us to do. Gotcha. Were, were there any other major things that you did that made it faster or was it all just that cache? Well, no, there was, there was one other major thing, which was, so we had had a lock file for a long time, only we didn't call it a lock file. We called it shrink wrap. Mm -hmm. And this was a point of confusion for people. But what npm5 does, it makes that the default. And we renamed it. So it's called packagelock.json. And it is, in fact, actually exactly like the shrink wrap file that you had previously. But that, in conjunction with the improved cache, makes the install process that much faster. Because the, the lock file essentially acts as a, a cache of, a, it stores the installer's ideas about what your tree should look like. So it doesn't have, so if your lock file is there, it doesn't have to think about that again. It doesn't have to go and go, all right, which versions of which packages? Now it's, it's already got that all stored there. By the way, making that default, thank you. <laughs> yes. Yes, it has been a huge improvement for everyone. If, if people so, want to turn that off, can they? Yes. They can set no, uh, they can set package lock equals false in their NPMRC. Okay. Hmm. 
So why decide to make a default was the old way? I mean, is everybody not served as well with the way that, I guess, lock files didn't, not sure what to say here, the way the lock files didn't work? Is that bad for everybody? What you're asking is, is uh, if it's default now, why, why wasn't it default before? Yeah. So NPM originally didn't have any lock file format when it was very first introduced, when Isaac was first working on it. And like a lot of things in NPM, it kind of incrementally got things added to it. So when the shrewcraft was added, which is for all intents and purposes a lock file, it was added, at, it was initially actually a separate project that was then folded into NPM. And so that, that means that it wasn't like core to, like people who had been using NPM didn't expect to have it there. They got mm -hmm. used to workflows that didn't use them. But I think most people are better served by having them. I, I think that it is the right decision to always have a package lock. There aren't many scenarios where you don't want one. Yeah, it, it eliminates a lot of issues with, oh, well, I got a package that's a different version than the one I expected. Or, you know, I do an NPM install on my machine, and then my coworker does an NPM install on their machine. And, you know, since it's pulling a package version that I already had on my machine, I have a much older version than theirs. And so stuff breaks on my machine, and then they fix it, and then it breaks on their machine. And, yeah. Yeah, it ensures that everyone's right. All developers on a project are using the same tools. Yep. Well, also on deployment, you know, it, right. it eliminates issues there too. And I've had all of those headaches in yep. many languages. So if you didn't have a lot, can we, can we maybe talk about a scenario where like this actually shows up? If you're one of the, for all those people that are out there that have just been doing like your basic node and haven't run into this yep. problem, maybe they aren't doing so uh, much in the way of um, DevOps, right? And they haven't seen this problem. Can you kind of explain and talk about why? what this does and what it solves. So when you run npm install, it records it records the versions of all of the packages that you installed into your node modules folder. And it records where npm decided to put them. And so that, that way, when you um, say, get a new laptop and clone your project down, you'll have exactly the same versions of everything that you had on your previous machine. Uh, it also means, of course, that anyone that you're collaborating with has the exact same version of everything. Um, which relates to that whole thing where, you know, Simver is a statement of intent from humans and humans screw that up. And so, you know, you're not supposed to introduce breaking changes and patch releases, but it doesn't mean people don't. And so this protects you from that. I would say that, that is the biggest piece. The fact that it makes that NPM is able to be much faster with it is a bonus. The other thing that it allowed us to do is that we now store the SHA sum of the package. Actually, we store a SHA 512 if it's available. Um, of the package that was installed in the lock file so that we can uh, verify it when you go to install so that you know that it is bit for bit identical to what you had previously. Hmm. So can't you just solve that problem by setting the package version to be an exact version in your package.json file? And uh, so is that, that not good enough? That, that's an excellent point. So no, you can't because that'll lock down the versions of the modules that you personally install, it doesn't lock down the versions of all of their dependencies. Hmm, interesting. Because, you know, you're setting the version of that, and everyone uses Simver ranges for their dependencies, so it doesn't lock down any of your, what we call transitive dependencies, the dependencies of your dependencies. Right. I think, I think I'm spoiled on this a little bit because, you know, I came up through Ruby and used Bundler, and this is what Bundler does, so. It's also... One of the things I like about it 
in part, you know, from an NPM developer point of view, is that the package lock allows you to look inside the head of the installer. Like this, this is the installer stating its intent for like, this is what the install should look like. I'm just going to save this here, and then I'm going to go make your install look like that. Now, one thing that you've mentioned is that the shrink wrap being default speeds things up. Is that just because it doesn't have to do as much dependency, figuring out the dependencies, or is there more to it than that? No, that that, that is primarily what it does. Uh, that That's why it's faster. Uh, it's both that it doesn't have to figure out the dependencies and it doesn't have to figure out where they go in your tree mm. because the shrink wrap describes exactly what your node modules will look like or the package lock. I should say that we still have an npm shrink wrap command. What it actually does now is it renames your package lock to npm shrink wrap. <laughs> and the only difference between the two files is that package lock can't be published. NPM shrink wrap can. So if you're publishing like an application and you want to lock down your dependency versions, like if you're say happy, happy uses a shrink wrap and they want to be able to go, all right, this version of happy, we've tested it with this version of our dependencies. We, we don't want to have support issues from someone who used a newer version of one of those dependencies. So we're going to lock everything down. You don't really want to do this on your small libraries because then that would make the tree it would make it much harder. You can actually create much more difficult to resolve situations. You get the deep tree again, mm -hmm. back before we had flattening. But for application level things or for like big libraries, uh, frameworks, it is a popular approach to uh, use a shrink wrap to lock down specifically what your users will be using. Huh. So one other thing that I, I saw just looking at the, the blog post here and a few other things that I kind of looked at is that you've adopted specifications in an RFC process. Yes. What, when did that happen? Is is that old news and I just missed it? Yeah, we announced this last January. We did some blog posts about it and we've been, as we've been coming across things, we've been posting up RFCs. We've been using them internally for several years. And this has mostly just been inviting the, the community into our process. Uh -huh. The specifications thing kind of came out of that. It wasn't something that we had talked about previously, but like we had an RFC and it's like, all right, now I want to implement the RFC. The RFC is written in, it isn't, it's a request for comment. So it's written in the form of, well, here's this problem we want to solve and here are some possible solutions. The specification needs to be, well, which one did we actually choose? Right. So we now have a specs folder in the NPM docs and we're slowly starting to add things to that as we, as we specify in detail how they're going to work. It also allowed us to write spec tests, which has been fantastic. Oh, I'm sure. I have another question, but it's completely unrelated. Joe, <laughs> yeah. do you have anything you want to add to this before I move on? Go ahead. So one other thing that I saw is that it adds some new tools that are, in fact, it says right here, new tools intended for use with upcoming registry features. So are, are we looking at new things coming in the registry as well? Yes, that, that is true. Gosh. I'm not sure exactly what that's referring to specifically. Amongst the new registry features has been, we introduced a, uh, so the normal package, when, when you get information about a package from the registry, it returns this document that has every version ever of the package and the full package JSON data for every, every package. And that package JSON data also includes the full readme for every version. And so you can imagine this is kind of unbounded in how big it can get. And for some packages, it is absurdly large. So we have a new API endpoint that you can request a smaller version of that document. And so that helps us by, you know, reducing our bandwidth bill, but also meaning that you have to download less. 
So it should be substantially faster. That makes sense. Relatedly, the introduction of SHA-512s. Historically, all packages have been hashed with SHA-1 on the registry. With NPM5, we're now doing both SHA-1 and SHA-512. We do the SHA-1 because all the older clients need to be able to still install your package. But newer clients will use the SHA-512. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh, you, you mentioned the older packages. Are you planning to uh, deprecate or stop support for, say, NPM1 or 2? Or maybe you already have, and I missed that too. So we, we, we don't actually maintain a... Uh, we've spent a period of time trying to do an LTS version of NPM. And ultimately, we gave up on that because nobody installs NPM as an LTS. Mm -hmm. People are, are in two camps. They either use whatever version came with Node or they upgrade to the latest. And those are really the only two models that we, we came across when we, when we were doing that. And also, our team is really small. We can't actually maintain a whole bunch of different NPM branches. Mm -hmm. So officially, we support the current version of NPM, and we do not support the older versions. If there's a security problem, we'll go do releases on those older versions or some other, like, something particularly, like, we've done patches there to support Node. Like Node decides that they want to do a, a updated LTS release with like a new Node JIP, then we'll go to an old rele a new release of the old NPMs for them. Okay. But otherwise, no. We we just maintained uh, NPM five is is the the only NPM that we'll be seeing releases. I, I guess what I'm asking though is if I have a really old installation of Node somewhere and it's running an application that I don't really want to bring up to the latest version. And, you know, I'm just kind of too lazy to update NPM or there are other reasons why I wouldn't want to, you know, I am I ever going to see problems with that? You know, cause you're not so, looking at that. Uh, we're not planning. We do not currently have any plans to deprecate any of the old registry APIs or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Older versions should all continue to work. That also means that all the third party uh, NPM clients will continue to work as well. So yeah, no, no plans to, to break that. Back to, I think, I think you can still upgrade from, well, you can't upgrade from 0.8 anymore because we're we 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 thoroughly broke backwards compatibility with that. You can upgrade <laughs> three from 0.8. We did actually npm five does introduce uh, some breaking changes as far as uh, what node versions it supports. So we finally bit the bullet, and node five does not support 0.10 or 0.12. We finally got to use npm four features. It's so lovely. <laughs> nice arrow functions. You know, we're like three years late to the party. It's okay. Right. So if you want to upgrade NPM, do you just sudo NPM install minus gnpm? That's right. Depends on your system as to whether or not you need sudo. If you're using a version manager, you probably don't. That's true. I'm just used to working with it either on a Mac or in some kind of Linux terminal where I'm not root. Right. So that makes sense. I, I was kind of curious. How long were you on version 4? How long has it been since version 4 came out? Version 4 came out last October. So it hasn't been terribly long. We're looking at like eight months? Yeah, about that. Seven that days. Is, is that a typical cycle? Like, are you already, do you already have plans for version 6? We do. We're really moving towards doing more releases than we've done previously. Some of this has to do with finally deprecating features that like are used in three packages on all of the registry. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, a question we can, like, we have the tools now to easily ask those questions, too. So we regularly run tests of, like, can we get rid of this? Does anyone use it at all? We recently found out that one of the 
more esoteric features of NPM Ignore is in fact used by a couple hundred packages on the registry. They're like, ah, it gets an undocumented behavior and they rely on it and would break if we changed it. Interesting. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole, never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. And if you go check them out at the show's link, that's hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber, you can get double the hiring bonus that they offer. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hire.com slash JavaScript Jabber today. So I have another question. You, there's a change. There, one of the things that was mentioned was the self-healing cache. Yes. How big of a deal is that? And like I've used NPM for a long time, never felt like I needed a self-healing cache. So could you maybe explain what that is and why we want it and why you did it? Well, you wouldn't really know if you did because it wasn't before. I suppose it, the way it would have usually shown up is you would have had a broken install previously because it would have gone to get a tarball out of there and the tarball would have been corrupted. And I've never personally had this happen to my cache, but we have, with some regularity, users showing up with this as a problem, usually because they're using complicated Docker environments or other containerization things. Mm -hmm. I don't know why that makes that more likely. Maybe it has to do with like overlay file systems and like something writing to it in the, on the real file system and the overlay at the same time. I don't know. What this, what this actually means, so the, the, the new cache is based on a module called Kakash, and that just stands for content addressable cache. And by content addressable, what we mean is we take a we take the, the cryptographic hash of your package and we use that as an address to look it up in our cache. And then when we read that tarball out of our cache, we verify it against the against the content address that we're given. And if it doesn't match, then we throw it away and download it again. And that right. way, if there's been any corruption in there, it it's just transparently tosses out the old cache entry and gets a new one. Okay, I think that makes sense. So was that a very common problem? Well, you said it never happened to you, right? Like I said, we, I, it's, hard to, it's hard to measure like how common is this problem. It's common enough that, like I said, we get with some regularity issues in the issue tracker from people who've run into this. And as I said, there are mostly people using complicated containerization setups. So there seems to be something about that that, that causes this to happen. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what. Gotcha. So how long was that on the plan to take care of that? That just came out of the cache rewrite. Like that came for free because we'd been planning to do this content addressable cache. And when we did that, this was a, a, a free side effect of that. 
Gotcha. And they have to make like cool little gifts of her manually corrupting her cash and then showing that installs still work. Mm hmm. <laughs> All right. So the other feature that's listed is new information, right? Output. Right. So we've had, this is something that we've had on the table for a long time was making the result that you get back from NPM install be more useful. The result that you got back from NPM has always historically given you the tree of what it just installed. Uh, NPM 2 and earlier gave you a separate tree for every module installed, and NPM 3 just gave you a single tree. But either way, this seemed like a great thing when you were installing five modules. These days, you know, I installed just my base dev environment, and I have 300 modules in my tree. So that tree is not, the, displaying that in the output is not useful. So we got rid of that and turned it into a summary. And actually, we've already accepted a user patch that now also summarizes specifically what you ask for on the command line if you ask for anything there. So if you do npm install name of thing, it'll tell you, yeah, I, I installed that thing for you, and this is the version we, we found for that. And then it also says, I installed 50 items, updated seven, and deleted two. I see. What do you, th is, did you have a lot of big hand into the exact design of that? Was that based on your own personal experience as to how that ended up getting designed? Yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of threw something together and put it out there, and then <laughs> we got feedback from users, and we iterated on it. Okay, cool. But yeah, that was one of those things. I have these experimental branches where, like, I'll, I'll get in a, a brainstorm, and I'll throw something together, and it won't have any tests, and it won't have any product, like, deeper product thought to it, and I'll just push it out there. And we're, th this release, we got to actually, like, bring some of those into the actual release process. So that was mm -hmm. really one of the other one of the other related things that came out of that that's um, probably new to you if you're just upgrading to NPM 5 is uh, LS output now shows you modules that were deduped. It shows you the full logical tree of like, here's everything and how it relates to each other. And some places here, we didn't actually install a module there. It's just conceptually there. And so that has like a little dedupe marker next to, next to the item in the list. Right. That's cool. So I have a question. You mentioned yeah. that you were able to come up to Node 4 syntax. Yes. Why not just go all the way to Node 8? Because we want Node 4 users to still be able to update their NPM. Oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I mean, there, there are wider systems like uh, AWS Lambda, for example, that still use Node 4, so that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. the, the percentage of users on Node 4 is still pretty substantial. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't seen Lori's latest numbers recently, but I know O.10 and O.12 together are under 5% now. But that's a very recent change. It, it takes, you know, it's because once something's deployed to operations, no one wants to touch it because it works. Yep. Right. I wouldn't want to upgrade it if it was mine. No, that's true. Something else new that we haven't talked about, the file specifier. Not something that people use that much. But some people, it's it's pretty key to their to how they have their packages set up. You can put file paths in your package JSON. Usually, you put this as a pointing to something inside of your package, and it would copy from there into your node modules. And we've changed this; it now makes a symlink. Oh, that this, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it's much faster, of course, because we're just making a symlink. But we can also verify that what's in your node modules actually matches the source because it's just a symlink. If the symlink is pointing at the right place, then it's correct. And if it's not, it's not correct. When it was a bunch of files copied from a folder that maybe were mutated by the post install, eh, 
It was really hard to tell. That came out of our, our sitting down going, well, if we make package locks, you know, standard and everybody has to have them, then it, we really have to like, these cases have to make sense and have to not be in a case where it's like, well, I changed it and now it's not updating in my node modules. What? Mm-hmm. Mm. That one I hope to, I know Yarn landed their version of the RFC for that feature a month or two ago. I don't know if they've actually gotten it in yet, but. They're, they're going to be following that, those semantics too, as, as I understand it. Cool. So what about, is there anything else we haven't t- talked about that's part of the NPM5 release? What do you think users will be most impacted by and most affected by? I think for most, I mean, the first thing any user is going, actually, the first thing most people notice is they don't get that giant tree at the end. The second thing that they notice is that it's much faster. And then the package lock is kind of a, a distant third, unless you actually are like aware of these things and comfortable with them. Most users are like, huh, well, there's this file here now, but everything else seems better. So that's great. <laughs> so if it's if it's locked, how do you update it? Do you just update your pa- package.json and say, I want something else? Uh, ordinarily, you'd run npm install or npm update. Uh-huh. For a long time, npm update had been kind of scary, but it works pretty well now. Um, so you run npm update, and it will update to the latest Simber. If you, if you don't give it any arguments, it'll update to match your, the Simver from your package JSON, all the modules in your node modules. Okay. And then it updates your package lock at the same time. And of course, you get an easy way to review that by because your package lock is checked in. When you go to add that to your Git, it has a summary of, yeah, here's what it changed. Joe, did you awesome. get to ask your yarn question yet? Oh, no, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask... So Yarn has been a thing that people have been talking about a lot lately, right? And so when you guys were deciding to do this release, did you look a lot at what Yarn was doing and did that affect these decisions as what to put on what to put into this release? Our our plan like I said, our plans for this release go back about a year and a half to before Yarn's release. It's not to say that like Yarn didn't have an impact. Things like Having a lock file by default was something where we're sitting there and talking about, we've been planning on making the NPM shrink wrap good enough that you could use it all the time. Once you have that, then you can actually have a lock file by default. But Yarn was an excellent indicator that that was something that was valuable to people. Mm -hmm. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, that does. Other than that, do you have any other plans to incorporate any features that Yarn has? I'm not aware of a substantial, like, I don't think there's a that big of a difference in our, our feature parity. There are a lot of alternative package managers. Yarn isn't the only one. We've also been working pretty closely with the with the developer of PNPM. PNPM is interesting because it makes it when it does installs, it doesn't copy all the files into your node modules. It makes hard links. Um, uh-huh. It is by and far the fastest single package manager for NPM. Cool. Uh, now, do Yarn and PNPM and all the rest of these use the NPM registry? Yes. Yeah, everyone uses the NPM registry. Uh, the only kind of caveat to that is CNPM, which is the NPM client that's primarily used in China. Uh, they actually run a registry mirror behind the Great Firewall for uh, you know obvious network reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to have to do package requests over the firewall. <laughs> uh, so they have their own client that talks privately to their registry, and then that registry is a full copy of our reg- registry. 
And they actually have something where you can like publish to their registry or to our registry. You don't have to publish to ours. It's not 100% clear to me, but uh, yeah, they're, they're the one exception to that. Right. What about RNPM, which is React Native? Is that a completely different registry? I'm not familiar with it. Okay. I just have never looked, so I don't know. I, I would be surprised. Most people are like, well, we could run our own registry and then pay all the costs of supporting that and have an operations team, or we could just use NPM. All right. Well, are there any other things that you want to talk about, Joe, or things that you think we should have brought up, Rebecca? Nothing on my side. I'll say a few more words about Yarn. Among, amongst the end users, there's sometimes a people are like, either, you know, I found this exciting thing, and now won't you come and, you know, you know, say something controversial about this competitor of yours. Uh, but the fact is that all of us on all of the development teams would prefer that this be collaborative. And to that end, like one of the speed improvements that we found when we were writing our cache, when we were looking at Yarn in like the last month of development, we found that they hadn't implemented that. Cat actually PR'd that. 20% speed improvement for Yarn. It was substantial. So, yes. Well, that's, we, that's one thing that I think is cool is that, you know, maybe somebody wanted it to work just a little differently or do something different. And the right. use case is there. And, yeah, that's great that everybody, you know, you're contributing to them and they're contributing to you. And, mm. yeah, that's awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and do some picks. This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Max Wood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. I'll go ahead and throw out some picks. So my kids, they like to spend time with dad. It's, it's, it's kind of fun. And so there are a couple of things that I really enjoy doing with them. One of these picks I hesitate a little bit to pick just because some people have political stances that it's, you know, they're going to have feelings, but they're terrific books. And yeah, if it bothers you that I'm going to pick a book by Rush Limbaugh, then just close your ears for a minute. But he's got some children's books, which are historical novels written for kids. And, you know, it just tells the story. And, you know, this history teacher takes uh, middle school kids back in time to the American Revolution. And, and they're really great. And so uh, I've been reading those to him. It's Rush Revere and the Brave Pilgrims, I believe, is the first one. And there are, I think, five total books. And my kids are just loving them. And they know who all these historical figures are. And they know what they were famous for. And it, it, anyway, they're tremendous. The other thing, which if you have more of a technical, um, maybe mechanical engineering bent um, that we've been getting for my kids, uh, they get a Tinker Crate and a Kiwi Crate. And the Tinker Crates are for the older kids. And the Kiwi crates are for the younger kids. And so the last ones that I got with my kids, they had a 3D viewer that they built with mirrors. And then they had little slots to slide the pictures in. And then I built that with the older kids. And then the younger kids, they had these little, they're, they're kind of like really, really fat straws. And you put kind of this foam thing in one end and you put fins on the other end. And then it had a, an air bladder with a hose on it and an apparatus that you put it into so you could change the angle 
of the the rocket launcher and it would launch the rockets and then it also had kites like really small kites and something else in it but anyway so it was all about like air air pressure aerodynamics and and just you know moving things with air and then you know the other one was obviously about you know optics and light and things like that and so if you're into some of that science stuff and you have kids that are i think the the tinker crates are like fourth to sixth grade and the kiwi crates are like first to third grade and i've been doing the kiwi crates with my a second grader and kindergartner who will now be in first grade and third grade um now that it's summer but anyway so yeah if you're looking for some things to do with your kids those are things that i highly recommend joe do you have some picks yeah you bet so I've been watching a show called Gravity Falls. It's been awesome. Really like it. It's a cartoon, kind of for adults. So I want to pick that. And I also want to pick board games in general. The local store, retail store near my house is going out of business. And the board game store, they're going out of business, which is sad. But you know, that's just the way that things work. You know, there's been a shift in uh, what's profitable in retail locations, especially when selling things just can't compete with Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will—it'll be too bad, and um, have be, I'll miss being able to go into a store and see what's new about board games. So I hope that uh, that doesn't mean that the types of media that are just easy for people to consume, like video games and TV shows, crowd out board games and they no longer become a thing. So I want to pick board games and. Uh, is a great way to spend your time. And that's my final pick. All right, Rebecca, do you have some picks for us? Sure. You know, I'm actually going to pick two like side projects of Cat and Me. We've both been kind of just living uh, development for the past six months. And so other hobbies all went to the wayside. But, uh, but the, these are kind of exciting. So one is Cat put together a tool called NPX. And NPX, you run, you type in NPX and the name of some command line tool somewhere on NPM. And it installs it and runs the command for you. And it does this all transparently. And if you happen to have it installed locally, it just uses the locally installed one. It's It was it started as a way to run like the stuff that's in your node modules.bin that like your lifecycle scripts can run. But you just wanted to run it from the command line. You could NPX the name of the thing. And then she was like, I could just install the module. So now it is it it is it completely changes your relationship with these little command line tools. So you don't need to install in RimRaf if you want to remove something. You can run npx RimRaf and it'll install it and then run it for you. So I think that's really exciting. We may actually bring that into npm and ship it as an additional binary at some point because it's so good. But it was just a like that was like a a thing that she hacked together in a few hours and was like, look at this thing I made and it totally changes your relationship with these things. That's that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so the other thing is a little library I put together, which I call FunStream. And it's about making streams. It gives streams the iterator functions that arrays have. So you can call map, filter, for each, reduce. And it also makes it so that errors are passed down the chain, which is one of the biggest frustrations working with streams ordinarily is that if you do a series of pipes, errors, it just throws away all the errors. Any error that you get just causes your whole program to exit because it's an unhandled error event and node exits on unhandled error events. And to capture them, you have to capture them at each level individually. And this is why people use tools like pump. Well, this is another approach to that. 
Um, it's also faster than using through or writing your own through stream. Uh, using a series of maps is faster than using through. So that's an advantage too, but uh, I've been having a lot of fun with that. It's kind of my, uh, it's where I go to cool down from NPM things. <laughs> nice. Now I'm going to call out just a couple more things here. On my JS story, I have interviewed Isaac, Rebecca, and Laurie Voss, mm -hmm. uh, all from NPM. And so if you want to get kind of a picture of who these people are behind the scenes. Isaac also gave a, a rather interesting history of NPM. Um, so if you're interested in any of that, then go check out my JS story and, and just go see those. Rebecca, if people want to keep up on what's going on with NPM or if they want to keep up on you and your projects and, and what you're doing, uh, what, what are the places to go do that? Well, they should follow me on Twitter at RebeccaORG. Uh, if they want to follow NPM, we've got NP the NPMJS on Twitter. We also have blog at npmjs.com. We're starting, I think it was actually last January, we started posting all of our release notes to the blog every time we do a release. We'll be getting back into our normal release cadence soon, which means every two weeks there'll be a new NPM release. Very cool. All right. Nice. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, wrap this one up. Thank you for coming, and we'll catch everyone next week. Toodles. Thanks for having me. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.